0: C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath.
1: Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. You can discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can always find lots of great articles, resources, and podcasts. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can choose from a variety of free ebooks. And if you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, then please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Alistair, let's turn our attention to the planet Malacandra. Did he come up with those names for the planets such as Malacandra and P- Perilandra sort of completely from his imagination? Or, or do we know if they were inspired by anything in particular?
2: Well, um, Lewis really seems to draw on his own resources here. I mean, he talks about the language called Old Solar. And he, in effect, explains to us what each of these um, planets mean. For example, um, Earth is Lulacandra, which is the silent planet, hence the name of the book. Um, I think Lewis really is is doing here what we see him doing elsewhere, which is inventing new names to to lead to a sense of credibility about these imaginary worlds he's constructing lewis wasn't as good at this as tolkien was tolkien actually really in creating names for new worlds almost if you like helps us to imagine their backstory we don't really find that um in um lewis quite the same extent so i'm not quite sure how much we read into the names of these planets other than to say that lewis seems to have a thought through understanding of what each of them is
1: you mention the language there. I mean, is that completely fictional or is that based on anything in particular?
2: Well, Tolkien, who was a philologist, clearly um drew on um existing languages to invent his own imagined languages, Lewis seems to me really just to um not not necessarily to make these things up, but to, to, to be quite um quite uh how shall I put this um (laughs) eclectic in in the way in which he invents his own languages so I I, again I I don't think we should read too much into this.
1: And do you think it's significant that Lewis waits until near the end of the book to reveal which planet Malachandra is is that one of his sort of literary um inventions again?
2: I think it's the idea of postponement um that to make a narrative more interesting you postpone certain of its core elements for example who exactly is this person who's telling the story um what is this planet i mean we, we are we are in effect um told that it, it is a planet we are introduced to it uh, but it, it, we're in effect left with the impression this is a um this is a distant planet there's no relevance to us at all and then as the narrative proceeds we begin to realize actually we can see where this is going this is relevant and this is now clear, and we can begin to make the connections Lewis wants us to make
1: now ransom when he gets onto the the planet Malakandra, it sort of differs so much from his expectations is Is Lewis making a kind of deeper theological or or philosophical point about that? Do you think
2: I think Lewis is making some points about our expectations and where they come from, and I think in many ways he's trying to get us to critique our expectations our intuitions about the way things ought to be for example uh, Ransom doesn't really expect Malacandra to be a particularly nice place and then he he finds it to be actually really rather nice Um, and again he has expectations about and the life forms various things like that and again they aren't quite as as he expects so I think where Ransom simply um, says oh I've got to change my mind about these things Western is rather different. Western is in effect saying, "I I want these things to be the way they ought to be, and I'm going to change them." Is it? I think what what um, Lewis is trying to do is to get us to see that people are taking different approaches here. One of which is a sort of naive, "Oh, I wasn't expecting that." The other is, "I don't like this. I'm going to change it because we need it to be like this if we're going to survive here." So it's it's a quite a helpful way of opening up these questions about. The way in which you respond to natural environments.
1: Uh, one of the things that I guess is quite surprising when you sort of read the book is that Ransom escapes from Western and Divine almost as soon as they've landed on the planet. I mean, why does he feel safer with the Malacandrians, who he really knows nothing about except that they perhaps may want a human sacrifice, than with his fellow men? And I guess significantly, is Lewis trying to tell us something about this decision that Ransom is making,
2: I think that the decision is really unexplained. That uh, that it's it's almost like an intuition. Um, this isn't right, and going there. So, if you like, maybe Lewis is bringing home to us that so sometimes we make these intuitive judgments. I don't trust this person, but these people seem seem okay. And I think it, it's one of those things where, in effect, what Lewis is trying to do is to say. Really Ransom is making an intuitive judgment about these two people who remember he's been with as they travel, they abducted him really. Um and the key point is that Lewis feels that these other people uh might well be safer, more trustworthy than the guys he knows. So I think you can you can see there is a sort of a framework there that may explain this um at with his part. But I think the deep intuition is these guys have got something in mind for me, and I don't think it's very nice, so I've got to make my break while I still can.
1: And obviously along his journey, again we won't give away too much of this story, but he meets various different life forms on Malacandra. Are those life forms particularly significant, and do you think any of this was inspired by something in particular? Do they represent anything in Lewis's mind, do you think?
2: I'm sure that you can map the forms of life he encounters with what he would have known well from um, renaissance literature which very often um, did speculate about these things and of course it might be a bit like robinson crusoe a robinson crusoe which is a classic account of someone arriving on a strange island and you have no idea what's there and you're you're evaluating everything you find to try and place it is it safe is it edible is it dangerous you know, and, and maybe this is in effect almost reworking robinson crusoe's narrative uh, on malacandra i think there, there is something going on here which is um if i can put this ransom's intuitive judgment the, there's this form of life which seems to be lower and this form which seems to be rational and hence higher and in effect saying really you know uh, um that's the way it looks to me is it really like that or is that me making that judgment i think that's an important point that um lewis recognizes that that the certain life forms he finds it easier to relate to Uh, But wonders whether that says something about the life form or about him.
0: Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled... Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask, to He Write Anything? and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org. Forward slash CS Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash CS Lewis. Thank you.
1: Well, yeah, because that's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Is this distinction between rational and non rational beings an important one for Lewis? And and how does he unpack that in this novel?
2: Well, in this novel, he, he unpacks in a number of ways. One is by looking at the way in which these life forms relate to each other. The other is the way in which he relates to these life forms. And I think the narrative kind of way really, really gives you a, a, a deeper picture of the complexity of the situation and Lewis and, uh, and Ransom's growing realization that he's perhaps made some some bad initial calls and needs to revise them. But I think it does feed very easily into a question we touched on earlier, which is the whole issue of vivisection. That um, Lewis, in many ways, you know was very familiar with the justification of vivisection because it meant using lower life forms to help understand how higher life forms could flourish and benefit and i think one of the conclusions lewis came to was that we can't make this judgment that actually if we are a higher life form we owe it to lower life forms to really respect them and help them to flourish and i think you can see something similar going on here that um Um, You know, we we, we tend to make rather condescending and um, uh, self-centered judgments about other life forms. And Lewis is just saying, let's just pause here and ask whether it's quite as straightforward as we think.
1: So do you think Lewis was sort of assuming an intellectual hierarchy of humanity over some of this extraterrestrial life?
2: I think that Lewis himself... um, believed in what you might call a great chain of being which is everything is interconnected that everything has its right place and therefore although humanity is actually pretty much at the top of that particular tree um, everything else is interconnected and therefore you have to learn to respect every element of the bigger picture um, western takes a very different view which is we're at the top of the tree and we are the ones that really matter never we can exploit everybody else Um, for our own particular ends so what lewis is getting at here i think is you need a bigger picture to help you realize that the simple view we're at the top everything else is is, is exploitable actually that's not good enough We, we we it's not that simple and lewis is trying to say the christian doctrine of creation is really not about exploiting creation but about having to look after it because we have been placed on top of it because we are responsible and accountable. It's not about humanity being omnipotent. It's about we have responsibilities towards those that are lower down the scale than we are.
1: Alistair, the way that Lewis describes Ransom's first encounter with one of the Malacandran creatures, um, a a hros, if that's how you pronounce it, um, might sound strange to modern ears. This is what it says. It was foolish, frightening, ecstatic and unbearable all in one moment. It was more than curiosity. It was like a courtship, like the meeting of the first man and the first woman in the world. It was like something beyond that. So natural is the contact of sexes, so limited the strangeness, so shallow the reticence, so mild the repugnance to be overcome compared with the first tingling intercourse of two different but rational species." what do you think Lewis is, Lewis is trying to convey here? Does he purposefully use words that seem to be reminiscent of sexual attraction, do you think, Alistair?
2: Well, he's clearly um, picking up on the Genesis creation narratives. And he he is trying to get across the idea that there's some kind of attraction or mystique or something, which in effect uh, means ransom feels drawn to this. And Lewis's language is saying, I can't really put my finger on precisely what this is, but it seems natural, it just seems um, okay. And the way he phrases it, you know, that um he uses words like strange or reticent, um, uh, and in effect, it's all about overcoming barriers. But I think the point that Lewis is bringing out here is that that barriers are relatively easily overcome if you are drawn to something or someone now lewis is i think beginning to tease out the question what is it about human beings that means we are drawn to something else is it for sexual purposes or is it because in fact we feel here is a kindred spirit who actually we can relate to and thus live in harmony with and try and find a, a way of relating to them which is appropriate to our own distinct identities. So it seems to me it's quite a rich passage that um, opens up opens up some very helpful discussions.
1: And Ransom has quite an interesting conversation with the Hrosser about love and sex, doesn't he? I mean, are these concepts purely fictional, or was he sort of basing some of that conversation on existing ideas at his time, like during his time?
2: Well, during the 1920s, there were some who said that um, sex was simply a means of reproducing and therefore it was something that was done only when necessary. And I think what's happening here is that Lewis is, how shall I put it, um, trying trying to tease out what it is about the way in which we are drawn to or relate to other people, other creatures and And what purpose and outcome is, and clearly, um Lewis isn't really advocating some kind of interspecies interaction. it's something deep. it's it's almost as if as if Ransom feels he belongs here that that he can have some sort of relationship with these creatures, even though they are different, and it feels like um a form of attraction he already is familiar with. But it doesn't seem to be appropriate here and yet it's happening it's sort of um i'm drawn to this there's something about this that makes me feel part of this and really i think it's all about um ransom's growing sense of these creatures really matter they're important and therefore in effect um setting him very much on a different trajectory than a western who basically completely disregards them and sees them only as an impediment to um, to the survival of the human species.
1: And one of the things they talk about in that discussion is that they perhaps, uh, the, you know, the if um, the is that how you say it? Harossa? I'm guessing. who knows, Um, they only seem to have sex in one or two years of their life and then the pleasure is completed by kind of remembering that and and it sort of grows over the years. I mean, is that something that would have been a concept that Lewis was drawing on or or again, is that just entirely fictional?
2: I think that this is fictional. Um, Remember, Lewis, Lewis made that point very, very clearly. But there are, there were some rather exotic people who took views similar to that. That In effect, at one or two points, D.H. Lawrence talks about, um, in effect, the sex in the mind, where you simply recall something something like that to actually do anything. So it may be that Lewis is picking up on something that was in the wider culture at the time.
1: Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.